A very good afternoon to you peeps. It's 1 p.m. on the East Coast, Monday, March 20th. That's Dan Nathan back, tanned, blue shirt, feeling spry, ready to go. Market call. Dan, this market call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are in fact powered by tomorrow. I am powered by a weekend of Ranger hockey where they shut the Penguins out six zip. And then last night, they scored six goals in the course of about 10 minutes in the first period. I think they scored on six of their first seven shots. I've never seen anything like it. They went on to a 7 nothing victory over the Predators of Nashville. They got themselves in a great position. As a matter of fact, if things work out properly, they might be able to take the Devils uh, for home ice advantage in the first round of the playoff. Dan, I know you don't care. Welcome back. Oh, right. by the way. Yeah. Carter Braxton Worth is in the wings. He's coming in hot. He he is coming in. It is truly astounding. Six oh seven oh, like two days in a row for your Rangers. I'm very happy for this you. This ain't Pee Wee hockey, man. This is the real deal. So it, it it is the real deal. I here's the thing, guy. I missed you all last week. You and I did not do a single MRKT call together. It made me sad, actually. And I did listen to a couple of them um, while I was running around a little bit. It was a busy week, um, but here we are. Okay, and let's just keep it real today. I mean, like, what the hell is going on? Okay, First Republic, which was the thing that people were most focused on late last week into this weekend. It got a bit of a bailout, if you will, from the money center banks that deposited for 120 days, $30 billion. And that was supposed to be a vote, a vote of confidence. Well, here it is. It's down 30%. There was no deal for the company. Um, you know, it's interesting to me, and it just strikes me. You know, we just had our midday fast money call guy. It just strikes me that when a bank like this, and, and let me tell you something, I know like a dozen people that I've spoken to over the last you know week and a half or so who bank at this bank. They love the bank. They think it's a great bank. When you have the equity, hap, like what happened to the equity just in the last like two weeks, there's no coming back from this. Do you agree with that? Isn't that out of the playbook from 2008? And so, so it's just kind of interesting to me. And then the other part of that is like, once they get done with this, killing the equity and pushing it into like the hands of like whatever, whoever's going to be the savior, then they move on to the mm -hmm. next thing, right? So talk to me how the XLF, which I am positioned with bearishly, is not down today. Should be down significantly. It's being bolstered by some of these other money-centered banks that are, you know, catching a bit on the flip side. I, you know, the short answer is I can understand it on one regard. I mean, people are finding they're saying to themselves, okay, the strong are going to survive this. The strong being J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, to a certain extent, Wells Fargo. I'll even throw City in there, and then you throw some of the investment banks and some of these. I don't want to say weaker banks because, you know, First Republic was considered a great bank for a long time until recently. I mean, this was a bank that everybody seemingly loved. But to your point, I mean, in terms of the equity, it certainly feels like it's in sort of that spiral that you don't want to find yourself in. Now, it has bounced off that 11 level today. We'll see how it closes, but yeah. it does not trade well. And I think the market finally came to the realization that, OK, $30 billion from 11 different banks, these are deposits. They're effectively customers, the depositors to the bank. I mean, that's really all it is. And they've told them, okay, for the next 120 days, here's our $30 billion, you know, get yourself straight away. But I don't think that's a bit, I don't think that's as much of a lifeline as people seem to think that it is. And I think they're just staving off the inevitability here. That's just my, and listen, you know, that's just my opinion in terms of first. Well, Republic. Let, all right. And let's be really clear. Okay. We're not saying that the 
deposits aren't safe or this nope. and that or whatever. The way that they backstop the deposits in Silicon Valley, I'm assuming they're going to do um, the same 100%. thing here. And so they're talking, there's a headline from the Wall Street Journal that just came out a little bit ago, guy deposits to capital conversion waited for First Republic. I mean, like they're trying to save this bank. And and listen, I hope they do. I, I mean, not at like taxpayer expenses and not at depositors expenses, but that means the equity likely goes to zero if there has to be some sort of bailout. And I just want to, you know, Doug Cass hits you and I a lot. And you and I have said this on market call many times that Doug has forgotten more about investing in bank stocks or evaluating banks um, as businesses than you and I may ever learn. And so he put out a note on his real money account. And I think we can um, kind of quote it here. He's saying the moats of largest banks will grow deeper. You and I said that late last week. Okay. So, but the problem is with that comes higher regulation, right. higher costs, higher cost of capital, less profitable, all those things. So he's basically saying he's buying the banks because the largest institutions will grow more safe, powerful, and profitable at the expense of the competition that is poorly positioned from a capital standpoint and unable to fund the capital expenditures that are needed to make necessary technological system advances that are warranted to be put in place in the future. I don't disagree with any of that. I just think it makes them much less interesting investments. And I also think what comes with that is likely to be lower buybacks and dividends in the near term with all this uncertainty, because I don't believe that whatever happens in the next few weeks with all of these regionals and what just happened with Credit Suisse and UBS, that's it. I just don't believe that. That's just maybe that's dogma and maybe it's scar tissue from these last crisis guy, but I just don't see it happening that way. I agree with that. And, you know, the optics around buybacks and dividends in this environment are going to be magnified tenfold. And they will have a deeper and wider moat. I mean, but the irony of this that is not lost or shouldn't be lost on anybody is in a world where we were trying to get away from too big to fail, we're basically creating banks that are now too big to fail, right? I mean, the competition much continues to go by banks, the wayside. Pardon me? Much fewer banks that yeah. are more concentrated. Doesn't it actually make our whole financial system that much more fragile? And also, if those bank CEOs like Jamie Dimon are always just kind of on the horn with DC, with the White House, with the Treasury, with the FDIC, doesn't it just make them in bet? Doesn't it make them like regulated utilities? They are utilities. Them? I think that's true. And and, you know, and you said something interesting, and I agree with it to a point that the taxpayers aren't going to pay for this. Yes, in theory, yeah. they're not going to pay for it. I'm going to tell you something. They're going to pay for it because whatever it costs the banks, they will pass it on somehow to their client base, which is effectively the citizens of this country. So as much as the administration or the regulators or Jerome, whoever, you know, they're all going to say it doesn't cost the taxpayers a dime. That's just patently false. But that's really neither here nor there. To your point about the banks, though, yeah, they just become more highly regulated, more utility type entities that that just going to be basically dominated by a handful of banks in an environment where, again, we were trying to get away from that too big to fail and, and sort of, you know, go across a wide swath of banks. Now it's just going back the other way, which is fascinating. And quickly before we move on to the next topic, Rick Carter in. You know, and, and I said this last week, I'll say it again for new audience members, Silicon Valley Bank would have passed the stress test if they were under the auspices of it. So think about that for a second. So even though they didn't have to go through the stress test because Dodd-Frank got rolled back in 18 and they were sort of not subjected to it, they would have passed, which if you think about it is madness. So the question you have to ask yourself is how flawed is the stress test? And to your earlier point, who's next? Yeah, well, and 
the who's next thing is is the one that I you know again I'm we, we're not fear mongering it's just kind of listen this is the only thing I know from 2007 eight um, and nine and and again so if you had all of these regional banks that got caught with their pants down because duration mismatch right um, there's no way that the large U.S. money centers don't have that same issue with the accounting um, you know stipulation if you're hedging out that interest rate risk that you have to take losses against your earnings. There's no doubt in my mind that the largest money bank or money center banks weren't going to, they weren't doing the same stuff. And so they're going to get to it. And the last point I'll make here is that as we get into the end of the quarter, into mid April, when we're going to have Q1 earnings for these banks, and you and I talked about it with Liz Young on our podcast this morning. I mean, this is when maybe some of these losses start to be untold because like they're going to have to be transparent about it. If they're the ones advising the Fed, the Treasury, the White House, you know what I mean, on how to play the game here. Year, right, they're going to have to be um, advising on it. So let's just look real quickly before we get to Carter guy. Um, S and P five hundred. You mentioned it to me just before we got on. It's straddling that two hundred day moving average. That's a big number. We know we have this Fed meeting, um, you know, Wednesday afternoon, or at least the announcement of what they're going to do. And we'll go kind of go a little deeper into that in the next coming days. We don't need to do that today here, um, but it could be a semi, like a binary event, like an up or down two three percent sort of move one way or another. And you look at the S and P. It just bounced off that uptrend. You see where that downtrend. Is um, there's a little room up there to what 4150 or so? Let's just go to the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, because this is one I really want to kind of pick on. Um, and you look at Microsoft today down 3%, mm-hmm. Intel AMD down 3%, you know, Amazon down 2%. Look at where that is banging up against that downtrend. Um, if it were to get back to that 200 day right at the uptrend, that's the one that I think is going to break also. So to me, I think both of them look very vulnerable here. And I would be shorting any bounce because I'll just say this back in 2008, after Bear was pushed into JP Morgan's hands almost 15 years years to the day, okay, where we are right now. You know, the S&P, the NASDAQ, they rallied over 10%. To me, if they do that, oh my goodness, yes, we will be yelling and screaming, but it will be the short of the century. Yeah, and you think about what happened, and you're, you're right, and we actually talked about it last week, and if you think about what happened on the back end of that, when people find the market at least came to their senses, and it was a much different environment then, by the way, because there you had an environment where the Fed could do things. Now, they're sort of strapped because inflation's become a problem. So, in some ways, it's definitely not 0809. In some ways, it's much better. In other ways, it's much worse because now you have an inflation problem. Maybe the Federal Reserve that's a bit hamstrung here. But you know, that's the market will decide. We have pointed out a number of times that this Nasdaq chart's actually traded better than the S and P. We actually bounced off the 200-day moving average. But here we are making this little bit of a pennant formation. Carter's going to come on. I'm sure we'll say. You know, these all look like a pair of twos, but at a certain point, these things are going to break one way or another in a meaningful way. All right, let's do it. The aforementioned Carter Braxton word. Bring them of, in. Of worth charting, of worth charting. Oh, where's oh, Parts unknown. Look Parts unknown. Man. Utah. Wow. wow. Okay. okay. I mean, listen, dude, like, like you're going? what are you in, in mountain time? What is that? Two hours? Yeah, behind? it's mountain time. Exactly. Yeah. Guy, I got to tell you, and, and I know you don't like to go out of the West Coast. You don't like to leave New Jersey too frequently. You certainly don't like to come in New York City that often. But I'll tell you, my schedule, Carter, when I go out West and I'm like in mountain time, mountain time is the worst one for me. It just screws me the heck up. I'm looking at my calendar. I'm trying to figure out where I'm it's supposed to be. hard to keep track. Yeah. It, it, it's not easy, right? And hopefully you're going to get out on the slopes. There's supposedly great Great snow out there in Utah. There right? is. It's a uh, big All right. Well, let, let's be quick about you. Wait, first of all, will you duck your head a little bit? You see what he's got working behind him there, guy? He's got a he's fireplace, got a fireplace going. He's got a, he's got a mounted TV. I mean, that he's got so books. 
That is so CBW. All right, let's hit let's hit S and P and Nasdaq, and you can toggle back and forth. These are our very beautifully looking fact set charts, and then the people need to hear from you guys in gold. You guys made an epic call in gold, and you also Carter that call in the TLT a couple of weeks ago. I mean, and you may say it's dumb luck, but you're not looking at the fundamentals and you don't care about the headlines in the Wall Street Journal. You're looking at the lines, right, that you see. So let, let's hit the major indices. Let's hit rates and let's hit, hit gold here, okay? And then before we get out of here, we'll do Nike because they're going to report after the close. It is a pair of twos. And I know that becomes sort of at some point like, okay, that's not helpful. That's not useful. That's not a recommendation, but see, it really is because the point of a pair of twos is it's, as I say, sometimes the best investments are the ones you never make, um, the ones you don't make. It's with people too, right? A date or a, or a job you didn't take in any event. The point is that your point is that it will resolve itself at some point. And this we know because markets will move. Uh, this has to get resolved up or down. My bias remains uh, down, but here and now it really has not a lot of character. Whereas individual constituents have a lot of character. We know the conversation you were just having on the banks. Those charts have epic character. All right. So speaking of character, which you have very strong character, um, talk to us about like the, the interest rates. Guy's been talking about the volatility here and, and to characterize the volatility. What would you say in a word, Guy, it has been over it's, the, it's, the- It's it's a, it's madness. It's <laughs> at the highest level. The fact, again, I mean, this is a U.S., bond market. This is not like Micronesia, uh, 30-minute bonds. This is United States 10-year yields. It's craziness. Micronesia. That's, like is, that, that, is that something you learned in geography good, over there at the Georgetown? I, I, I don't think so. Carter, I, you see our little support line. It doesn't really mean anything. Sure. It's kind of like it's kind of like you know 330 ish or something like that let me ask you this do moving averages do they mean anything and like in, in something like oh, this yield? sure sure anything that you, anything you're taking price in this case yield but numbers and plotting them making a graph a chart you can use an average of any price any yield and it's a moving average now it, it adheres the rules are the same the question is is that moving average about to flatten or said differently are yields topping out and what we know, of course, is that yields are the same level they were nine months ago, basically yeah. going back to June. And so if it was, think how many Fed hikes there have been since June, all of the talk and all of the, the PMIs and all of oh, the hot, the hot uh, CPI and yet rates, because the market is ahead of the facts. And when you get a confirmatory sell-off in banks or oil, it almost is a lock that we're headed for a recession. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's 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 talk about that because that's a great segue. The ten year, it's kind of and guys been saying this. Careful what you wish for. You get that move back there. It's going to be doing it for a reason that you don't want. Oil down here is, is also flashing a recession signal. Talk to us about uh, crude here because you brought a few charts. Yeah. Look. So I made the case. It's as much as ten dollars a barrel higher that oil was basing and, and stabilizing. It's done. The- exact opposite. It, it's collapsed. But I, I'm reiterating for clients to step in and buy. It seems fairly extreme to me. And it's a trade. It doesn't mean that oil has to make any long-term gains. But if you are in any given day buying, selling, or doing nothing, I'm a buyer. So let's put in some lines. What we have here is we know that oil is down 50% from its peak. Now, that peak was extreme. That was the Ukraine invasion. We hit 140 a barrel. But down 50% is serious stuff. Let's look at the next iteration. 
And basically you have something of a triple bottom so that it would be very important if crude goes lower here and in turn its ability to hold here and repound also will be important. But maybe to put it in historical perspective, take a look at this. Now it's, it's hard to read because oil went negative mm -hmm. strangely from COVID. But if you will, we're always trying to figure out where we are in relation to where we've been. And then basically the prevailing price for crude in 2018 and 19 was essentially where it is now. And then we plunged and well, so this is, yeah. So then we plunged uh, because of COVID and then we surged because of the war. Basically, if you could white out with your eye, the plunge because of COVID and white out with your eye, the surge because of Ukraine, basically oil is the same price it was five years ago. And so in that sense, kind of maybe where it belongs. Final chart, this is oil adjusted for inflation. And we've looked at this one time before, but oil is the same level it was in 1986. So the notion that somehow oil is expensive or anything like that is just not right. Yeah, and Carter brought this up last week as well. And that minus $39 print, if you go toggle back to that prior chart, it sort of skews everything. It flattens things out. So it's hard to sort of get a handle on this. But this chart will look, I think, a lot more interesting in terms of levels of resistance and support if you were able to back that out. It's hard to do, I understand. But with that said, I mean, a couple of things. C congratulations to the Biden administration for releasing energy from the SPR. And now we have it sub 70 bucks. So Hopefully, they're replenishing it, although my sense is they're probably not, but well done regardless. The other thing is, you know, they definitely took the oil stocks out to the woodshed last week in a meaningful way. The OIH, I think, got as low as 250, bouncing today. But I agreed with Carter last week in terms of playing crude, the underlying commodity for a bounce. I agree with him now. Obviously, today or the last couple trading sessions, it's been difficult, but you're a headliner way or two given the environment. Um, from this thing being right back up, especially, by the way, if the Fed comes out dovish on Wednesday, Dan. Yeah, now, and that makes sense. And you've been actually making that call that the, the Fed has an amazingly hard job right here in the face of this kind of banking crisis, because normally their playbook would be to kind of flood the zone with liquidity, which they have, you know, with the discount window and they have with some backstops and they have with some other programs they're going to put in place here. But they actually haven't said the words, right, that they're pivoting or for all intents and purposes, however, people are going to kind of, um, you know, translate what they say to a pivot. Um, listen, you know, I, I kind of worry about crude here a little bit just because I feel like we're about to go in a period of just slower global growth. And and so to me, I feel like um, I, there's no reason to be a hero. Um, one area, though, we got it. And I just I, I just mentioned this. And so maybe the guys can bring up um, the GLD here because um, you guys were both all, all over this, Carter. And when you look at this move that we've just had, I mean, listen, this was like two weeks ago. It was sub 170. I think on March 8th, it was like 168 and a half dollars. This is the GLD. You see that move. It's back above um, those early Feb highs. We did a um, a bullish trade idea in the options in the GLD. It was the 170, 182 mm -hmm. call spread targeting that sort of move. So I think you take that off here. Um, and we talked about that, uh, I, I think, about three weeks ago, and that was on the heels of you guys kind of pounding the table here. Carter, what do you do with this thing? Because on a 52-week, you know, you see what that 52-week high was. It was just above, I don't know, 86, and it reversed. That was all the way back um, in April of last year here. Is this thing constructive to you, or do you see the uh, a back and fill a little bit? Back and fill a little bit, but, I mean, the question is, there's a reason this has happened. Bitcoin taking off, gold taking off at the same time that oil and the BKX plunge, right? These are 
equal and opposite moves. <laughs> Ultimately, I think you stay long, but you hedge. Okay. Um, Guy, what are you thinking here? Because going back to 2020, okay, in the throes of the kind of pandemic lows as it was for risk assets, we saw the GLD get to like almost 195. And then early 2022, I think on the invasion of Russia into Ukraine, it got up to what, 193 or so. So it didn't make a match tie. Mm -hmm. Here we are at 183 and a half, 184 or so. So, you know, and I'm just curious, Carter, real quickly before Guy gets in. If let's just say it topped out back and filled, would that be like like a series of lower highs in your opinion? Is that meaningful? Is it is it like really important resistance in that kind of 190 to 195 level? Or is that not that meaningful to you? Not so much. I mean, I think that the sequence from the low is is fairly identifiable, uh, whether it's in advance or hindsight. It was steep and uncorrected. You had a lot of people drawn in and then you had a major sell off. But it's the rapidity with which the sell-off has been reversed. That takes a lot of money going into something. And gold is still a fairly small asset. I think it has room to run. I agree with that. And it is a very small. In terms of just market cap, it's it's not nearly as big as people would think. And you know what I would say is you know, a lot of comments I'm reading about gold being overbought and RSIs and those types of things. And I'm sure that's accurate given the move we've seen. But those overbought conditions can get worked off if the gold would just go sideways for a few trading days. So I understand it, but I'm not all that frightened by it. And I would say, Dan, and I'm waiting to see what commitment of traders come out, but the market's not market might be bullish gold, but the market's not long gold. And I know that sounds nuanced. It's not intended to be. I think everybody's talking a good game, but I don't think the market has gotten itself long yet. So when hedge funds finally do get in, it's not going to be here. It's going to be significantly higher. They will buy what they perceive to be a breakout whenever their systems kick in. And I will tell you, despite this price move, their systems have not kicked in on the long side yet. All right, fair enough. Um, all right, let's. Um, you know what's kicked in is my Nikes. I've been I, I've been running a lot, guy. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not preparing for an Ironman like you like you did ten years ago um, when you were my age, which I could never do, which is still astounding to me that you're. Uh, did that. Um, but like, let's, let's look at this thing. It reports after the close tomorrow on Tuesday, um, implied move about $10 in either direction. That's mm-hmm. about 80%. Um, love to get your technical take here, Carter. You brought some charts here. Um, again, there were some kind of disappointing results in and around this space over the last um, month, month and a half or so. Lulu was one of them. And again, maybe they're not um, great comps here. You know, maybe the dollar coming in has helped these guys a bit. Just curious what you're seeing in the charts. And then I'd love to get your take. And, and I'd love to know what you what you were wearing um, on the ground when you ran that mm. marathon, the 26 miles that you ran after you had swam three biked 115, and then you decided to run a marathon. But we're going to save that for after the charts. So, I mean, the line I've drawn is is fairly straightforward. you got multiple touch points, and so it's a bona fide intermediate uptrend. There are other ways to draw the lines. Let's look at them. So if and as this is accurate, that's a fairly well-defined, important reversal formation. I can't remember if I sent a third, but, um, oh, yeah, this is the all-data chart. And this is kind of mm-hmm. interesting. So Nike has never breached that trend. It did, hmm. um, and now it's back above. That's that's constructive. All right, but real quickly, if it were to gap down ten dollars, okay, which is the implied move, and I'm just saying, like hypothetically, mm-hmm. on fundamental news, which I know you don't give a crap about, but let's say a miss and a guy down, that second break of that all data move that going. Oh, that's back, yeah. Then you got to have the dexterity to 
flip it around. I mean, it's very hard to do, but yeah. Here's what concerns me about Nike. And listen, it's been in this uptrend. And we we if you go to the shorter duration chart, I think it was the first one that Carter brought. Obviously, we saw that sell off into the fall, but it's bounced since. Um, and it looks good. I mean, this is a very constructive looking chart, a bearish to bullish reversal. I get it. Here's my one apprehension going into earnings. You had a huge inventory build last quarter. I want to say it was like a 93% year over year inventory build. I might be off, so don't at me. But you better hope they worked it off during this quarter or you're going to see margins contract. And obviously, the big part of the story is margins and how well they're doing on that front. So we'll see how it shakes out. I would say it's probably an expensive stock in this environment, but historically, it's always been an expensive stock. And I look at this and say, man, oh, man, you've caught this move. I'm more inclined. And again, you know, we'll talk on Wednesday if and when I'm wrong, but I'm more inclined to be sort of taking money off the table and seeing what this thing shakes out in this environment that we find ourselves in dan yeah I, i'm kind of in that camp too here but again that near, that near dated chart looks definitely constructive um i guess i'm just looking at things through like glass uh half empty here mm-hmm. and, and, so, and i'm just being really honest okay um all right carter last thing before you hit the slopes um you know reits we've actually had a bunch of questions um about these we talk about it every once in a while on cnbc guy you've been bringing it up for a while um that you know the potential kind of defaults in, in this area here and again these charts are disgusting i mean just just run us through them really quickly because we're actually getting a lot of questions and just so you know we had a special bonus edition of market call you can check it out in the feed here people we also put it um in our on the tape feed podcast um with this morning that guy and liz and i had it was with jim chanos though the uh, friday afternoon and danny moses and we were talking about just kind of the potential for defaults and he's specifically focused on um the reit industry so talk to us about the charts here because they seem to be kind of leading the way carter as far as any narratives about if you want to be bearish on the sector right well it's specific and and uniquely office reads right for the obvious reasons the towers uh amt and spac are, are completely different hospital REITs, uh, et cetera, and so forth. Um, but these are bad. And you've seen some of the data, the swipe data, in order to get into buildings, you know, you swipe in the 10 biggest cities in the United States, it's running at 50% of pre-COVID levels. Yeah. I mean, that's not good. Anyway, this is a, a sub-industry group in the S&P office REITs. That's down into the right, and there's no reason to be long. Look at a longer term, and this says it all. Look at where it is in relation to its COVID low. There are very few things that are below their COVID low. That speaks volumes. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, we talked about I didn't understand, to be honest with you, why REITs were holding in there as as well, as well as they were until recently. Now you see them fall. Now it seems to make sense. But again, it's like a lot of these other things, like I'm find myself scratching my head that things are hanging in as well as they are. The same way, like REITs were sort of hanging in there all through 2022 and then sort of the back end started to give it up. And now, obviously, we've cascaded lower. So sometimes it takes the market a while to figure things are not as rosy as they appear. And, you know, you look at this chart, Dan, and I know you have your view on the XLF. My sense is you could see a similar move in banks, not, you know, not tomorrow, but over the course of time as the market figures out, wait a second. You know, these these entities are going to be strapped as well in the environments they find themselves in. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think what's interesting about this chart right here is if you take that COVID low, which it crashed from, you know, 200 almost to, I don't know, 110 or something like that. And you look at the low from last year at 2022, it seemed to be a bit of a match low. It was a huge bounce off that 
right, Carter? And so the fact that it came back, tested those levels and blew through. But I think what you're saying here is like, this is more an interesting data point that you might, and this is what Guy is saying too, extrapolate to some other, you know, kind of sectors that might have exposure. You're not saying to press the short here, because again, that's a hard thing to do, to be fair, right? But there's no, the first thing is, there's always the temptation to buy something because it's cheap or cheap in quotes. And I would just resist that. Okay, man. Well, listen, we really appreciate you joining us. You're on vacation. You did some heavy lifting last week. So thank you so much while I was on my vacation. So hopefully maybe maybe get the day off on Wednesday. Uh, All right, buddy. Thank you. Listen, before he's leaving, I wanted to ask him like, you know, what does he typically skate? You'd sort of like a blues guy or do you go? I I do it all, but it depends on my younger kids or my bigger kids. But, uh, you knew he was going to answer that. All right. All right, Carter. Thanks so much, guys. Check out Carter's work at worthcharting.com. It's one of my first reads every morning. So thanks, Carter, for joining us, bud. Thanks. No emojis, no hearts, no bullshit, just charts. All right. So a couple couple things before we get out of here. What sneakers, what sort of sneakers were you wearing for your marathon at the end of your Ironman? Yeah, I think I think I had like Nikes. Look at that. Great. I don't know what they are. Maybe there's something else. But that was Red Bank. That was a, a sprint. Oh. And oddly enough, I don't know how the photographer caught me, but the person looking to the right with the blue goggles, that happens to be me. Yeah. Um, and that's my friend John Highland all the way on the right. Love John Highland. He's um, I will tell you, I forgot socks for the marathon portion of the race. So I I had that portion with no socks on. And the blisters on the bottom, I mean, I, I'm sure there are pictures somewhere that I will share on this yeah. feed, don't as they them. say. Don't need to see it. I've never seen anything like it. It was pretty epic, actually. Hey, you know what's interesting? Um, so I just saw this comment when we were talking about the REITs, um, and someone said dollar cost average in the Blackstone BX. Maybe we can pull that one up there because that was kind of interesting, guy. Remember, I, I guess it was October or November yeah. when 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 so so Blackstone, which is listen, it's a very fine company, okay, and they have lots of like really interesting exposure in all parts of the market. And these guys are smart as hell. Um, but you know, when that, when that thing, it was like crescendoing into the year mm-hmm. end. Right. And there was, there was worry. They put gates up. What, what does that mean? They, they basically are saying, well, but think about that for a second, because I brought this up last week, oh, yeah. you know, that might've been one of the first signs that things were happening. Right. I mean, they put gates up so people, you know, redemptions were mitigated to a point, yeah. but you know, I don't want to make the leap between redemptions at Blackstone and depositors trying to get their money. But there are some parallels here, right? When people get scared, that's what happens. So the banking system is really a confidence game. And maybe it did start with Blackstone, Dan. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. If, and maybe Jacob can pull that out as like a five or 10 year chart. It would be kind of interesting. But, you know, again, like you don't want to be early buying a name like this if you think we're about to go in. I, my thought, and you know, last fall guy was that this thing probably gets back to its pre-pandemic high, which was like $65, $65 mm-hmm. or something like that. And listen, if if there are other palpitations with this financial crisis, and, and it is a crisis, it does not seem to have the sort of systemic sort of issues, like 08 or 09, but it's a mini crisis right now here. Um, and th- that's just undisputable. Okay, when you see the sorts of backstops by the Swiss National Bank and these two companies that one did not want to sell and the other one did not want to buy mm-hmm. and they had to change the laws to make sure it could happen so shareholders couldn't vote them down. And then you see what's going on with five banks that have failed here in the US. Not small banks. Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th largest bank. And I've gotten a lot of emails, guy, that back in 90s during the SNL crisis and and other periods, we had hundreds of banks fail. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
hundreds of banks fail. So it's interesting when you see these sorts of extraordinary measures being taken so quickly, they are not just swept under the rug and you move on. Like, And this is really important because you were saying this about interest rates. You cannot have just like disregard for inflationary pressures with easy fiscal and monetary policy the way we did in 2020 and 2021 and say inflation's not a problem here and then turn on a dime and then raise interest rates four and a half percent in about seven or eight months and not think that there's going to something happen on the other end. So like to me, that's why I think you want to actually have your antennas up about everything right Absolutely. now. And I'm not trying to induce panic, but like think about what we have lived through, not just with our own lives and our own livelihoods and our health and all that sort of stuff over the last three and a half years or so. But from a financial standpoint, the lens in which you and I talk about this stuff, like this ain't done. No. And I think the market today, at least in my opinion, is taking its cues from UBS, Credit Suisse. Okay. They're figuring, you know, we're going from QT to QE seemingly overnight. Fed's balance sheet is going to, again, here in the States, Fed's balance sheet is going to increase. It's clear the Swiss National Bank is going to backstop what they have to backstop. By the way, they also own $139 billion worth of U.S. equities, which makes them one of the largest hedge funds in the world, as ironic as that is. So I think the market is saying, okay, that part of the game is over. And now we're back into the easy uh, money portion of the game. I'm not certain that's the case. And even if it were the case, it doesn't mean that things are going to be magically fixed to your point. And you know, Silicon Valley Bank at its zenith in October of 2021, when it was north of $700, was a $44 billion bank. That is not insignificant. And now here we are today. And that's over the course of you know 18 or so months. Things happen quickly. And things happen particularly quickly when you go from a zero interest rate high liquidity environment, to your point, raising base, raising raising rates 500 basis points in the course of nine or 10 months. Things right. break. Yeah, they did. And you've been calling for it. Nostradami, there he is. All right, last thing, guy, before we get out of here, how's your bracket? I still have my final four. I have three of my four. That's I have impressive. Alabama. I have Alabama, and then I have Texas and UCLA, and I have Alabama versus Texas, and I have You're Alabama. You're alive winning i am alive um how I, about you? I did not fill one out this year and really? but i will tell you if i'm being honest I, i'd absolutely have purdue going far that clearly didn't happen i had purdue going far i thought marquette could make some noise clearly that didn't happen um i thought saint mary's would beat yukon that didn't happen so i'm sort of happy that i'm what oh and i and i loathe everything if any of you people there from the u and if you're one of those people that actually does the u sign you know, think, you know, right. figure, Quick figure question, it out again, guy. because that's just just, any, any analogies, any analogies you would make when you look at how picked over these 65 teams are, right? Like when you think about like how much goes into kind of the, the seating and the brackets oh. and then this and that, whatever. And then some of the br most brilliant like minds as it relates to math and sports and handicapping, look at these things. And then you see nothing but upsets. You see crazy upsets. You see 15 over one. You see all these other things. Like that's the thing about markets. And that's the thing that like you and I commenting on this stuff every day. And it is also fascinating that SportsCenter now has 
handicappers, yeah. handicappers on those shows, giving lines and this and that, whatever, which, you know, you and I aren't saying buy it here, sell it here, this and that, whatever. We don't make recommendations. This is not what we do and this and that, whatever. But you think about it. It's like, why are so many people like they just go to the same sort of camp as it relates to markets? And then when you see all this other stuff that happens in all the other parts of the world, you know what I mean? Like of our worlds and stuff like that. It's just randomness all over. Well, the to a certain point, I mean, to, to your point about the NCAA, I mean, you can watch every college basketball game over the course of the year. You can do all the due diligence, all the yeah. work on all the teams, who's hurt, who's not, who's playing well at the right time, where are they playing, how do they match up against teams. And there, so many times you're left sort of looking like you could not have been more wrong and you were just throwing darts the same way in the market. I mean, I like to think that we do our homework and we do our due diligence, yet the market – has a way of humiliating and humbling us each and every day. And I think the the corollaries and the comparisons are fine. Now, what's interesting, though, to your point earlier, you know, you still have three of your four um, final four teams. And and what it comes down to a lot of times in this tournament and and in the markets, you get a lot of noise early, Mm -hmm. but then things sort of wind up where they should be. And I think that's the same way in the market. You're getting a lot of noise over the last couple of weeks in terms of these up moves, down moves. But at a certain point, it's going to sort itself out. And that's what I think we're on the precipice of. Yeah, well, that that, that was really good, guy. Like wait, 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 wait to put a bow on that whole uh, conversation. Do I bow, well, bow shit up? It was, it was fun. It was fun. By the way, to, yeah. can we tell people that what's going on here? Is well, she Can she even get on the did. screen and say hi? Uh, Amanda, for, folks, uh, Amanda Diaz is back. Back. So for you, everybody that's been clamoring for Amanda, she is in fact back. We're thrilled that she's back. Baby Cece is great. Husband Danny is equally great. He's fine. And Amanda is back where she should be with us. Yeah, no, it's great to have Amanda back. And I got to give a shout out to Steven and Jacob. They've been doing a yeoman's ton. work. Yeoman's work. Um, They've been great here. So listen, this has been it's been fun, guy. We got we got a big week. I mean, like we got a big week. We didn't even do the Fed. We're gonna do the Fed, people. Tomorrow, cool your jets. And and on Wednesday, we're gonna do the Fed. We're gonna do the Fed right up to the meeting, aren't we, guy? Yeah, and keep an eye on today because I'm telling you, there's still a lot of weird things look like under the surface here today. So th- this day is not over. Well, real quickly, Microsoft down three percent. Yeah. Is weird, okay. Um, you know, Amazon is down two and a half percent. The fact that Apple just rallied one and a half percent is kind of Quite weird. The quality, that's yeah. yeah. I mean, it's all is all the inner markings of okay, something strange is going to happen in the last couple hours of the day. So just stay tuned, sports fans. I'm with you. All right, bud. Thank you so much for welcoming me back. Welcome and Amanda and Rafis and, and Carter Worth and Jacob. We got the team back, but that's it for market call. Uh, by the way, the Rangers are playing great. They really yeah, are. Yeah, we heard on the way in. Like, remember on I the know, way in? But they are just, it? I am so excited right now because, you know, they're gelling. You can see the lines gelling. And and as you know, Dan, Ryan Lindgren's been out for the last like 11 or 12 games. He's going to be back on Tuesday night against Carolina. I think it's Tuesday night. Yeah. So I am geeked up. Knicks right. are playing solid basketball. Wait, wait. What about Altuve getting getting plunked? No, I, I listen. Karma is what do they say about karma? It's a bitch. It it certainly is. Yeah. But you're not. That's it for Market Call. I want to thank Carter Worth, Amanda, Jacob, Dan, Steven, the audience, everybody. I want to thank FactSet. They're a great sponsor, by the way. They're also our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow, Tuesday, just the two of us on a CME day. See you later.